Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, good morning, Candeo Church. It's great to see you guys. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Trent Elliott, and I'm the director of the Salt Company, which is our college ministry here at Candeo. And if you were here last week, you may have noticed that there were a few less young faces in the crowd. That's because last week we were at our fall retreat. And we had an absolutely amazing time. Uh, had a lot of like weekend long uh, competitions going on between connection groups. Gold team, one more time, where are you at? A few of you, okay, gold team won, if you, want to, if you are curious. Gold team won, had a lot of fun. Also, Stephen Jones was our, our, was our retreat speaker, walked us through what brokenness, brokenness restored through the life of Joseph. And since then, even in this last week, we've heard a couple of stories of students giving their life to Christ. So praise God for that. And we've heard stories respond saying, hey, I wanna be baptized. I want to go overseas. I want to consider going on a church plant. And so guys, I just wanna say thank you so much for being a church that loves college students, that allows us to get to pursue college students together. We love it. And it's really encouraging what God is doing through Salt Company. Uh, This morning, as we continue our series in Ecclesiastes, I want to start with a question. And I'm going to ask a question, and it's going to be one of the raise your hand questions, but don't worry, it's a a fun question. And so I want to know, if you, in this scenario, uh, I want to know, do you believe that if you were on a commercial airplane, and for whatever reason, the pilots, the co-pilots were to become incapacitated, they couldn't fly the plane, they couldn't land it, and you had to step in with no help except for the help of air traffic control. Hey, come on, what do you think here? Could you land the plane? Raise your hand if you think you could land the plane. Okay, look around, look around. Think about it. Be bold, be bold if you think you can. If you think you can, yeah. Okay. Okay. I think, I think there's a few more people out there who think they could too. They're just, they're, they just don't want to raise their hand. Well, apparently this question started as a TikTok trend of wives or, or wives asking their husbands this question. Uh, and then it turned into a survey. It turned into a survey. And here's what the survey found. The survey found that approximately one in three Americans believe they could land a plane in that scenario. And get this, among men alone, that number jumps to 46%. <laughs> We're a confident bunch. Jake Herring pulled the office with this question a few months ago, and I have to say I was maybe on the overconfident side. I mean, come on, they basically fly themselves at this point, right? You just have to, they've, they've walked people through this first before, surely, right? Well, according to one pilot addressing this trend, he says the most likely outcome for someone in this scenario is a controlled crash, which to me just sounds like a nice way of saying a crash. So maybe you could, maybe you couldn't. Why do I ask this question. Is it to reveal arrogance in our hearts? No, though that could be a good sermon for another time. I bring this question up because I think that it reveals for many of us that we have a false sense of control. That is, we think that we are more in control of our lives than we actually are. We often think that the way the world works is that if we navigate our lives right, if we follow a particular set of rules, if we do the right thing, that we can control our destiny. I can be the pilot of my own life. I can make my own luck. If I choose the right path, if I do the right things, then I can do, I can be whatever I want. I am in control of my life. Maybe that's how you feel. Or maybe you fall on the other side. So actually, I don't relate with that at all. 
I feel like more like a passenger in this plane. I don't feel like I have any control of my life. I'm at the will of somebody else. I actually don't feel like I have control. When it comes to life, some of us believe we are in control. Some of us feel like we have no control over all at all. Either way, in each of us, there is this desire, desire to be in control of our lives, desire to have control over our day-to-day and our futures. What we're going to see this morning is the teacher, as we open up to Ecclesiastes, again, is going to make an observation about the nature of life under the sun. And that observation is that we are not in control of our lives as much as we think we are, or as much as we'd like to be. And so is this actually the reality of the world around us that we don't have control? And if it is, how do we wrestle with it? Let's look at the text together. We're going to break it up into four parts. I'm going to have four points. So let's look at verses one through three. It says, send your bread on the surface of the water. For after many days, you may find it. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full, they'll pour out rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Okay, so let's go back through this. These first two verses, like when I first read it, I'm confused. What is going on here? Bread on the surface, send your bread on the surface of the water. What does that mean? It can be a little tricky to interpret, but the most likely understanding of what is happening here, what the teacher is doing is that he's giving financial advice. He's actually giving financial advice that sending your bread on the surface of the water is a weird way of saying to go and invest and send your money, send your bread, send your goods on the sea, to go and invest in that way, to send your bread on the surface of the water. And so what he's saying is, hey, here's what I'm calling you to do is to take a risk and just go and send it, send your investment out at sea. Go and send it because you don't know what's going to happen. It might return an investment. It might not. Just go do it. In the second verse, he continues to give more financial advice. He talks about diversifying your funds because of this unpredictable nature of disasters on earth. He says, give a portion to seven or even to eight for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. You don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket because if you do, Right? A storm could wipe all your investment out. We could wipe all of your goods out or pirates could take everything that you have. So diversify, right? So this, this is honestly just good investment advice, right? That he's given, right? I was a finance major in college. Really, I know applying my, my finance major well in ministry, but this is like finance 101. They teach this finance 101, diversification, right? To, to spread out your, your investments, to avoid risk, So he's given financial advice. It's good financial advice, but even more than financial advice, I think that there is a broader observation that the teacher is making about the nature of reality through this example of how we handle our money. I think we see this observation come to light in verse three, paints the full picture. He says, listen, here's why I'm saying this advice. Because if the clouds are full, they'll pour out rain. And whether a tree falls to the south and the north, whatever way the wind blows it, like it's just going to go wherever the wind blows it. You don't have control. He's saying, I've observed everything under the sun, 
right? I've tried to predict, okay, I'm going to look at sea. When am I going to, when am I going to send my, my goods? When am I going to send this bread upon the waters? When am I going to invest? Like I've tried to predict like, now this is the best day, right? Oh, weather's looking good today. Like I've, I've tried to predict it. That's what he's saying. I've, I've, I've tried to predict it. But it doesn't matter how much time you think you, you think you're thinking like, is this the best time? Is this the best time? Here's the nature of reality. Sometimes it'll work out and sometimes it won't. Sometimes you'll get a return and sometimes you'll get nothing. Right? The rain falls where the rain wants to fall. The tree falls where the tree wants to fall. This is the reality of the world around us. This is point number one that we see is we are not in control. When we look at nature is we are not in control. Right? There is a seemingly to us at times unpredictable in random nature to the world around us. This is what the teacher has learned in all of his wisdom. There's so much. We might have control over so, some things, but there's so much that we have absolutely no control over. Right? We can't control the next natural disaster. We don't know what city the next tornado will hit. Right? We can't predict what fields are going to be destroyed by hail damage and what aren't. We can't control war from breaking out. No matter how much news we consume, no matter what politicians that we support, there's an, we don't have control over that. We can't control exactly how our kids are going to turn out, right? No matter how many parenting books that we read, no matter if we do all the right things, we still don't have complete control over that. We can't control whether the stock market is going to go up or it's going to go down, no matter how certain we are. Disaster happens. Right? It's not to say that we have no control over anything and that we can't make wise decisions, but it is to say, as the teacher is pointing it out, is that if we zoom out a little and look at the nature of reality around us, is there's actually so much that we just don't have control over. Guys, and this frustrates us, doesn't it? Like this, we don't like being a people who aren't in control. This creates anxiety in us. We desire control. We desire to know the future. We desire predictability and safety. It's what we desire. And we aren't the first ones to not be content in our lack of control and knowledge either, right? In a way, this was part of the original sin with Adam and Eve, right? They desired to be like God. They wanted knowledge like God. They wanted control like God. They weren't content and thinking God is in control, they said, I think I actually need control. I think I need more knowledge for myself. They wanted to be in control. The same is true for us. We hate when life is unpredictable. We hate when something doesn't go according to that plan that we had. And that's why the weather prediction industry is a $17 billion industry, right? And we lose our minds if the weather person dare get it wrong. And billions and billions of dollars are spent towards predicting the stock market when in reality, some news could come out tomorrow that flips everything on its head. Right? And there's a new personality test every other year that's in for us to learn more about who we are so that nothing surprises us. We obsess with control. We want control. We want to believe we are in control. We're like a little kid on the front of a cruise ship steering that fake wheel they have out there, right? Or Dwight from the office, from my office fans. 
We think we have control. We convince ourselves that we have control. It looks like to us, we have control, but we are not in control. We're not. If the clouds are full, they'll pour out rain. The wind blows the tree this way or this way, that's where it goes. There's an unpredictable nature to the world around us. So much that we have such little control over. This is what the teacher has learned. And so he says, hey guys, it's not worth trying to predict everything. It's not worth trying to hold on to this, to just sit there and do nothing out of fear of what might happen, what might not happen, which leads us to verse four. He says, one who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. First point is we are not in control. Our second is that our desire for control can keep us from faithful living. Continuing on from the teacher's advice on overseas trading, he advises that you just take the risk and send it, right? Just, just do it because you can't control. He's seen others get so obsessed with analyzing the weather for that day, analyzing the, the, the clouds, analyzing the winds. Maybe he himself, he, he's like, I've tried that. I've tried to predict it. The reality is, you can't. And so if you do this, you get so obsessed with predicting it you do, that you're going to end up delaying, 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 waiting for the right moment. In the end, you don't send your ships. And when you do, you find that you basically run into the same amount of risk as if you would have just sent it in the first place. He says, one who watches the wind will not sow and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. Like obviously today, this is where weather forecasting is actually really nice, right? It's, come, it's advanced, it's, it comes in handy. Like we can have enough information to wisely make decisions of like, hey, I should plan to travel this day. I should plan to ship these things this day. So we, we might not have this exact issue, but our heart posture is the same. Like the merchants, we get similarly obsessed with looking at the winds and the clouds in our lives, getting so worried about the what ifs, trying to predict our circumstances, trying to be in control. In the business world, they call this analysis paralysis. When you go past a healthy amount of analyzing information, right? There is a healthy amount that we should analyze. Like it's not saying, hey, just do whatever, don't use any wisdom, right? There is a healthy amount that we should, should analyze things around us. But when you go past a healthy amount of analyzing information to the point where you're then paralyzed from making a decision and out of the pursuit of perfection and risk adverseness, you have now actually put yourself in a worse spot than if you would have just made a decision in the first place. Have you ever had plans uh, on a Friday night? My wife and I have run into this scenario a few times. You know, we're trying to figure out where we're gonna go out to eat. And so we're like, oh, we could go to this place. That'd be great. It's like, yeah, that would be. Uh, but you know, it's Friday night. Maybe the line's gonna be a little long. So well, maybe, maybe that's not the best idea. Okay, yeah, that's true. Maybe we could go to this place. Yeah, that would be great. But didn't that hurt your stomach that one time? You know, I don't know. We should try that, risk that again. Okay, well, what about uh, this place? Yeah, yeah, actually that sounds really good. But like, ah, is it like the best environment like for kids and all that? And, and you go through like this. What about this? What about this? Until... One of you eventually goes, well, I think uh, there's a Jack's pizza in the freezer, right? 
Is that just me? <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, we didn't end up doing anything. We just stayed in, right? We can get so obsessed with escaping risk and pursuing control that it can keep us from living faithfully towards the opportunities that God has called us for that day. So what opportunities in front of you are you missing out of an obsession for control? Maybe it's towards the number in the bank account, right? I'm not willing to touch it, to give it, to invest it, unless I'm absolutely certain there is no risk involved at all. Maybe you've been wanting to finally invite your neighbors over and invest in that relationship, but the analysis paralysis kicks in. Well, what if it like is awkward? You know, what if, what if our kids don't behave? Like, what will they think of us if this happens? So you never invite them over. Maybe it's your future. Should I take this job or this job? Should I major in this, this, or this, or this? College students, I know that's where you're at. Should I major in this? Should I, should I go on this church plant or should I go on this church plant? I really just don't want to make the wrong decision. I really don't want to like fall off God's plan for my life. And so we just make no decision. Maybe for you, it's less the big picture stuff and it's more the day-to-day. Right? Every day I have an idea in my mind of what I want that day to look like when nap times are with the kids, when, when I'm doing this, when I'm doing, and, and if one thing goes off, all of a sudden I spiral, right? All of a sudden, like it's all done. And so I just am mad the rest of the day, right? And, and I, I, I miss the next faithful opportunity in front of me for that day. We can get so obsessed with this pursuit of control and the risk-free life that we miss opportunities to be, to be faithful in the day-to-day to what God has called us to. Instead of faithful living, we're consumed by fear and stress and anxiety, and we fail to live in the present, all because we have this desire for control that we can never seem to grasp. And so we're left stressed, helpless, and mad. And in the end, we are being controlled by our need for control. It's not only consuming our mind, but it's keeping us from faithful living. So is this where the teacher leaves us controlled by our need for control? Look at verse five with me. He says, just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. Here's our third point. We are not in control, but God is. We are not in control, but God is. Right, again, the teacher reiterates this point of how little control we have, how little we know. And he gives this example of the weather and looking at the growth of human life. And that second one, I can relate with that one a lot. So my wife and I, we have an 11-month-old at home, Elsie. And throughout my wife Kirsten's pregnancy, uh, I became just like absolutely amazed at the reality of new life. Like, you know, I had friends get pregnant before and it's like, that is amazing. But they're like, just absolutely amazed when I got to see it, see it firsthand. Like at first, you know, you see it, you, you, you learn that she's pregnant because a little stick tells you to. It's like, cool, that's awesome. But then you go to... Uh, you go to the first ultrasound and you hear a heartbeat and you're like, 
mind blown. Like, how is that even happening? Like, absolutely blew my mind. And then later on, you, it, the baby grows, you feel the first little kick, and it's like, what is happening? Like, this is literally amazing that there is a human in there, right? And now they have apps that will tell you uh, what size of vegetable your baby is. I don't know why that it, we're so interested in that, but it'll tell us what size the baby is. It'll tell us like what's developing, you know, like this week, you know, it's, its hair is growing. This week, uh, its lungs are developing. This week, it's, these bones are developing. And like, literally I'm reading these every week. I'm like, how, like, li- like, how is this happening? Like, we aren't doing any of this. And you have to be a little careful because like, I know you're doing a lot, but it's like, but it's like, you know, but like, you know what I mean? Like, we're not actually doing any of this. We're not making those, those bones grow, right? And then, uh, then you, you know, the birth happens, you get to meet your baby and it is like absolutely amazing. It's like human life. It's a complete miracle. Uh, and then I learned like a few other miracles that I didn't like even know after that about like after the fact. Uh, first of all, is like the benefits of skin to skin is like that actually like there's, you know, something that it helps regulate the, the and emulate the womb, the, the baby's temperature. And so skin to skin, I learned that when nursing, uh, if the baby starts to get sick, the baby's saliva will communicate to the mom what it needs and the breast milk will supply that deficient nutrient. Do you know that? I don't, is that true? I think it's true. I, I heard it's true. Uh, <laughs> But it's ama- if it's true, it's amazing. Like, you know, that's what I've been told. It's amazing. And so I'm like looking at all these things. I'm like, I, like, we have no control over this. You know, and we might know more, you know, like at the time they didn't know how these bones were developed. We might know more now about how wind moves and how bones are developed, but we still can't control it. It's still completely not us. And there are other things that we do not know and still cannot control. Here's what I also learned throughout pregnancy is that in moms and dads, and sometimes especially I think in moms, this lack of control can cause a ton of anxiety, right? Going through this, it can cause a ton of anxiety because, you know, you can try to promote doing healthy things and those are good things to do. But in reality, it's, it's not in your control, right? There's like so much that you're just like, I am completely at the will of God. I can't make this baby grow. You know, and so it can create a ton of anxiety. That's an uncomfortable place for us to live, to be, to not have any control. And so for Kirsten and I, it forced us to focus on this second part of what the teacher is saying. That is that we may not be in control, but God is. It forced us to focus on that. And in the midst of a passage where the teacher is pointing to the reality of nature, how little we know, how little we are in control, he does give us a hint towards a truth that can give us confidence and peace. When he says, you don't know the work of God who makes everything. That what we don't know, God does. And that what we aren't in control of, God is because he made it. It is his And the theological word to describe this truth of God is the sovereignty of God, that he is in complete control over all, that he has authority over all, that there is nothing that is out of his control or authority. And it's here where our lack of control, desire for it, but lack of it meets the sovereignty of God that we can find confidence and peace. How so? 
Well, I was thinking about uh, superhero movies. You know how every superhero movie is kind of the same plot? Like they'll give new characters, new villains, but it's basically the same plot. Here's how it goes. You know, the bad guys are winning. Uh, the city is falling apart. The citizen, citizens of the city have found themselves in chaos without control, without any ability to save themselves. And the superhero is nowhere to be found until right before the villain is about to deliver the final blow, the hero emerges from the rubble or emerges from the sky. It's a, it's a bird, it's a plane, Superman, right? Emerges, hero emerges and then immediately, okay, immediately, even though the city hasn't been rescued yet, even though the villain hasn't been defeated yet, immediately in that moment when the hero shows up, the citizen's attitude changes from fear to confidence because they're in their mind, the battle's already over. Right? They've seen this hero save the day before. They know they're gonna see the hero save the day again. They didn't have to be in control personally to have confidence and peace. They just need to know that someone who is good is in control. In Mark chapter four, we see the story of Jesus and his disciples out at sea. I'm gonna read it. Mark 4, 35. It says, on that day when evening had come, Jesus told his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So the disciples left the crowd and took Jesus along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. But the disciples were afraid. They were terrified. To them, and from their perspective, they had no control, right? As the, as the waves were crashing over their boat and they were fearing of singing, they were fearing for their lives. They're like, should we wake him up? Should we wake him up? I don't want to wake him up. You wake him up. They're like, like, they were terrified. They were in no control. But then they went and they got Jesus. What did he do? He calmed the storm. Just by the sound of his voice, the waves ceased. From their perspective, they were in danger. But here's a question to consider. Were the disciples actually ever in danger? Were the disciples actually, in this entire time, were they actually ever in danger? No. Jesus was in control the entire time. And if they knew truly who was on that boat with them, they would have had a confidence in a peace, right? It might've been scary. It might've been uncomfortable, but they would have had a confidence and peace knowing that Jesus is in control. In the moments of greatest fear, in the moments when it feels like we have the least control of life, God has proved that he is sovereign over all. That we don't need to have all the answers. We just need to know the one who does. We don't need to be in control of every situation. We just need to know the one who is. 
when Moses and the Israelites were fleeing Pharaoh's armies towards the Red Sea, and it looked like there was no other way to go and that death was certain, God was in control. And if he was in control then, he's in control of every financial and family situation in your life. And and when the giant Goliath seemed undefeatable, and all the Israelites had was a shepherd boy named David with a rock in his slingshot. When things seemed totally out of control, God was in control. And if he's in control, then he's in control of your pregnancy, your future decisions and your day-to-day life. And later on, in a moment for the disciples, when surely they felt the most confused and helpless, when they looked at this promised Messiah on a cross, when they could understand nothing as to why God would allow something like this to happen, God again showed that he was in complete control. And to what appeared to them to be chaos was actually God's sovereign plan to save his people. If God was in control, then he's in control of every situation, every challenge, every seemingly random or chaotic moment in your life. We don't need to be in control. In fact, there's a lot that we just are not going to be in control of. We just need to know that God is. That like a sovereign king, he is in control. But unlike the kings of this world, he is good and can be trusted. So where do we go from here? How do we live this out? Look at verse six with me. So in light of this, in the morning, sow your seed. In that evening, do not let your hand rest because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. Point three was we are not in control, but God is. So here's point four, trust in the fact that God is in control and live faithfully today. God hasn't tasked you with the mission of figuring out every single future detail of your life. He hasn't told you that you need to make sure a plan or an action will absolutely succeed before you take it. Sometimes it'll succeed, sometimes it won't. God hasn't called you to figure this out. Simply, he has called you to rest in the fact, trust in him, the fact that he is in control to sow your seed in the morning and to be faithful at night, to live faithfully to whatever God has called you to for that day. And yes, in all of that, to use wisdom, to use what he's given us to make decisions, not with carelessness in our financial situations, our family situations, our future situations, but we're not called to be God. We're not called to do what only God can do and control what only he can control. We are called to be faithful. So what is it in your life this week that you need to surrender? That you need to give back to God and say, God, I've been trying to hold on to this. I've been trying to keep this for myself, to make this thing go the way that I want to. To confess, God, I've been trying to play a role that you haven't called me to. What does it look like to say to God, it's yours? I'm not gonna stop trying to control what only you can control. I'm gonna cast my worries onto you. 
trusting that you are good and in control because you've proven it to me time and time and time again. I'm gonna live faithfully today to what you've called me to, to take one step of faithfulness at a time. Throughout this passage, the teacher looks to weather time, you know, several times to remind us of the fact that we are not in control. Candeo, we're Iowans, right? We get this. We get this. Like we can't control the weather. One weekend it's 80 degrees, the next weekend it's negative 30, right? That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. Unfortunate truth is that winter is coming. And when that first snowfall falls, what's going to happen is there's going to be these flakes of snow that come and cover the ground. And it's going to make people go crazy on the roads. And uh, it's going to disrupt our plans. It's going to disrupt our days. There's going to be traffic. We're going to have to go out earlier than we wanted to shovel the snow. And when that moment happens, I challenge you, I challenge all of us, whether it's snow or the winds we see or just whatever unpredictable event in our life, when we see that next snowfall come down, instead of being frustrated that we wanted the day to go this way, we wanted control, would, it, we, would that snow serve as a reminder that we are not in control, that we didn't cause that snow to fall, but that God is and that he is good and he can be trusted. So would we trust in that and just go and live faithfully today to what he's called us to? Let's pray. Jesus, we confess that we are a people, Lord, who love to be in control. Or we confess that we try to take on a task that only you are meant to take on. God, and behind that desire for control is a lack of trust in you and a lack of trust that you are good and that you will provide. So Lord, we just collectively confess our desire for control now. God, would you help us to see who you are more clearly, that you are in the boat with us, that you have promised that you will be with us till the end of ages, that you are sovereign and that you are in complete control over all. There's nothing in our lives, absolutely nothing that is outside of our control. Lord, would we believe that more so? Would you help us to believe that, Lord? And in believing that, would it give us a confidence and a peace today to not have to worry about tomorrow? but a confidence and peace today to say, Lord, you are in control and that's all I need. I don't need to know the future. I don't need to know everything else. I just need to know that you are good and you are in control, Lord, and you showed that to us on the cross. God, help us to be more and more that type of people who let go of control in our lives, Lord, and say, we trust in you. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.